going to jump into the book of Isaiah today, book of Isaiah. You know, there's lots of references um, in the New Testament to the book of Isaiah, lots of times when it comes up. And probably one of my favorite um, little references to Isaiah is in Acts chapter, chapter 8. And, you know, this church has been scattered and Philip's going down the road and he encounters this guy in a chariot. Does everyone remember the story? Who does he encounter in the chariot? The Ethiopian eunuch. At least you put Ethiopian first. Everyone else just pointed out that he was a eunuch, you know. Um, Anyway, you know, he's reading. He's reading from the book of Isaiah and Philip says... Do you understand what you're, right, you're reading? It's cool because Philip's got to run beside the chariot to keep up with him. And um, yeah, he says, do you understand what you're reading? And what does the Ethiopian say? No, I don't understand. I don't get it. And my son Daniel helped me make a meme about it. My son Daniel says um, that people don't talk in memes anymore, mum. You're just so far behind the times, but never mind. Can you pop my meme up? This is Philip. So apologies for those who don't appreciate the Lord of the Rings uh, reference. But, you know, I can imagine Philip saying that to to the Ethiopian. You just don't simply read Isaiah. You know, there's um, a sense in which the the books of the prophets are challenging books. You can get rid of that guy now. (laughs) I don't need to be distracted by him the whole night. Um, Yeah, yeah, they're difficult books. They're complex. They're layered. And I just want to give a little bit of a brief introduction to the prophets and to Isaiah to give us a little bit of a handle. Because, you know, we struggle. It's full of um, Hebrew poetry, and we're not really into Hebrew poetry. Um, The historical setting is so far removed from our own historical setting. You know, as we come to the prophetic books, it's important to recognise that they're not just prophetic in the sense that they speak about the future. In the same way that we see the gift of prophecy, these, the prophets were there to bring encouragement and exhortation, you know, to the people of their time. They had a message to the people of their time. In a way, they were custodians of the covenant that God had made with Israel. The prophets were there to remind the people of the covenant that they had made with God, remind them of their obligations under the covenant and remind them what would happen if they failed to fulfill their side of the bargain. You know, they were there to remind the people that God is a covenant-making God, that God is a God who keeps his promises. And, and so that was the message of the prophets to the time, the people of Israel on this journey, and particularly in a time of social and political upheaval in, in Israel where there's all sorts of attacking nations and Israel itself is broken in, in two. But in the process of the prophets speaking into their historical context, there are also foreshadowings of things to come. And in Isaiah, of course, the prophecies of the Messiah are there. And there's foreshadowings of things even further into the future. The fulfilment, the final fulfilment of the kingdom of God when it comes in all its fullness. So you've got that complex, layered um, uh, thing happening in the prophets, which can be hard to unravel. And when you come to Isaiah in particular, it has an added level of complexity in that it's actually speaking into three historical contexts in its original voice. So the first half of the book up to chapter 39 is Isaiah speaking into the events of his lifetime. 
So around um, 740 BC to 700 BC, those 700s is where the first half of the book of Isaiah is speaking into. And you'll see that Isaiah is alive during those years. He's often interacting with the king. In, in some of the chapters, it'll say, Isaiah said to King Hezekiah and so forth. But then when you come to chapter 40, you get this jump. There's a, like a 150-year gap between um, chapter 39 and chapter 40. And Isaiah now is looking ahead of his own lifetime to the time of the exile to encourage the people who are in exile in Babylon. You'll remember that Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians in around 586 BC and the, the people of Israel are chucked into exile um, as punishment for their the disobedience. And um, Isaiah starts to speak into the end of that exile period from chapter 40 onward to encourage the people. And even further in advance of his own lifetime, he speaks into the time of um, the Israelites coming back to Jerusalem and being restored. So um, this chapter 40 is um, a real turning point in the book of Isaiah. It's like a real transition chapter into this new phase of the book. And I think if you understand that, it kind of helps you get a little bit of a handle on Isaiah. So that's a little bit of a brief introduction to the book of Isaiah, its historical context. Um, you know, over the next four weeks, we're just going to look at a, a small chunk of Isaiah, Isaiah 40 to 43. And I really encourage you guys to get away with God and, and your Bible and read those passages for yourself. There's so much in them. There's no way we can cover it all in these short sessions. And I really believe God will speak to you through those words as you, as you come to him and, in, and open up your heart to the scriptures in that way. Um, so today I'm going to start with, with Isaiah chapter 40, this new tone. And God here is affirming his people. He's, he's saying, you know, I still want to use you. Even though you've failed, you've been in exile, now your exile is over and you're still my servant people. You're still the people that I've called to use to be a blessing to the whole earth. You know, Cade at the start of the year, he gave those wonderful series of messages on being sent, that God is ascending God and we are a sent people. And Isaiah is kind of the great example of, of that, of a sent person. You know, you see in Isaiah chapter 6, his calling, where he encounters the glory of God in the temple. And, you know, he says, I'm an unclean man in the presence of unclean people. And then the angel comes and cleanses him. And, and God says, you know, who will go for me? And Isaiah puts hand, up his hand and says, God, send me, send me, I'll go. And there's this wonderful example of Isaiah being a sent person, called to be this voice, this messenger of God, this prophetic voice. But you come into chapter 40 and all of a sudden more voices are speaking. And there's this emphasis on these voices that are being raised up to speak. Verse 3, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Verse 6, a voice says, cry out. And verse 9, you who bring good news, lift up your voice. Lift up your voice. So tonight I want to explore four questions. Who are the voices? What is the message of the voices? What is it like to be a voice? And what is the strength behind the voice? 
So who are the voices? What is their message? What is it like to be a voice? And what is the power behind the voice? So I want to start by reading the first 11 verses of Isaiah chapter 40, if you want to follow with me. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for, that she has received from the Lord's hands double for all her sins. A voice of one calling, in the wilderness prepare the way for the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up and every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places a plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all people will see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. A voice says, cry out, and I said, what shall I cry out? All people are like grass, and all their faithfulness is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, because the breath of the Lord blows on them. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power. He rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him. His recompense accompanies him. He tends the flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. So who are the voices? Who are the voices? Well, you can hear that the voices are calling out to Jerusalem, to the towns of Judah, so thinking again about that historical concept, uh, context, the immediate uh, calling out is these voices are calling out to the people of God in exile and saying, look, comfort, you know, your hard service has been completed. God's now going to come and make a way for you to come home. Their punishment was over, restoration was coming. And that was the message those voices were speaking in to the people of God in their journey. But what about the longer term application? Is there a foreshadowing here of the future? Well, who else um, quoted from Isaiah 40 verse 3? In the wilderness, prepare a way for the Lord. Who quotes that in the New Testament? Yes, John the Baptist quotes it. He says, I'm a voice. I'm a voice of one crying in the wilderness and I'm preparing the way for the Lord. He was preparing the way for Jesus. And, and notice the kingly language in, in Isaiah 40. You know, in the ancient world, when the king of a nation would come and visit a city or a town, they would make the way clear. You know, they'd fill in all the potholes on the road and smooth out the road, make a beautiful way for the king. But, but do you notice the kind of king that's coming here? You know, when this king turns up, the valleys themselves rise up and the mountains fall down. So this is no ordinary king that's coming. And when John the Baptist associates Jesus with this king, 
he's making that assumption that Jesus is Yahweh. Jesus is this mighty king over all the earth that the mountains bow down for. This is the mighty king who's coming in this passage. It's Jesus. So is there any calling out left to do? Is this prophecy now being fulfilled in the people of Israel and now in the coming of Jesus? Is there anything else left? Have a look at verse 5. The glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. Have all people yet seen the glory of Jesus? Or have all people seen the glory of Jesus yet? Ah, a little bit unsure. I, I'm pretty sure you've got some friends around you, some work colleagues around you who haven't seen the glory of Jesus yet. You know, there's this, still this, this invitation for the voices to call out to our generation, to call out and say, hey, there's a king coming. You want to get ready for this king to come. And I want to put it to you that the continued application of this voice is to us, that we are still called to be in that place of preparing the way for the Lord, to invite people into the presence of this king where there is restoration. You know, there's um, yeah, this big transition between chapter 39 and chapter 40. The first half of the book of Isaiah is full of this sense of judgment and it flips when you get to chapter 40 into this message of, of, of restoration. So we are the voice. It's like Isaiah is inviting us into his mission of being a sent people who are called to speak out and proclaim and prepare the way of the Lord. So what do these voices call out? What is the message that the voices are entrusted with? Well, firstly, that it's a message of restoration, a message of restoration. Sin has been paid for, it says there in verse 2. I think it's awesome to see that the gospel is there in the Old Testament and it's expressed so beautifully as, as, as this, as this um, turning away from judgment to a place of restoration. So that's the first aspect of the message. Secondly, the restoration comes through the personal action of God. God comes to his people. God comes to the places of wilderness and desert and brings them to life. So the message that we share is not some theological idea or philosophical concept. It's not some intellectual truth. The message is that God wants to come to you personally. That's the message. It's an embodied message. He wants to come to the wilderness and the desert areas of people's lives and bring restoration and turn them around. Thirdly, the message is that human strength and human effort is not enough. It's not enough. You know, verses 6 to 8, human strength is just like a little blade of grass. Human wisdom is just like a flower that, that blooms for a season and then dies. Something more is needed, and that is that the word of God is faithful and true, and the word of God endures forever. So trusting in human effort and human strength is pointless. And this is the message that our generation so needs to hear. It's not enough. Um, 
Our message is to invite people to trust in this promise-keeping God, this God whose word endures forever and who's faithful and will not fail us, where human, human strength will fail us. And fourthly, the message is the good news, the good news that God's divine justice is coming and he's going to make things right that are, that are wrong. His reward and his recompense are with him as he comes. He comes as this warrior, as this sovereign who's going to, you know, destroy evil and make things right. He's going to be the perfect king that's going to bring a place where humans can flourish and as they were intended to be. And he's going to come and make things right that are wrong. And that message on its own is a bit scary when you think of maybe there's things in my life that aren't aligned with this king. But the good news is that God's divine justice is coupled with his heart of a shepherd. And he comes to us with that compassion and that gentleness of the shepherd that holds the lambs close to his heart. And that message is uh, such a message of hope. You know, I love this articulation of the gospel that you see in the prophets. It just brings such a richness. You know, I think about how I grew up in the faith and I think I, I kind of believed a, a little bit of a narrow view of the gospel, the sort of idea that if you change your thoughts, get your thoughts aligned and, and believe what you're supposed to believe about Jesus, then you go to heaven when you die. And, you know, there's an element of truth in that. But this is a far richer articulation of the gospel, that the, this king comes and he brings this right place where humans can be what they're meant to be. Um, not just, you know, in the, in the pie in the sky when you die, but this God who comes and his kingly rule, we can experience his kingly rule now, experience restoration. And, um, of course, we one day that will be fulfilled when, when, when Jesus comes again as king. But that restoration starts now. So this is, this is the message that we are entrusted with. What is it like to be a voice? What is it like to be a voice? You know, you look at John the Baptist, and he was kind of a little bit of a weird guy, you know, out there, a bit of a loner, out in the desert with his camel hair and his grasshoppers for dinner, and you kind of go, well, if that's what the picture is of the voice, I'm not sure that I can identify with that. You know, keep in mind, though, that John the Baptist is the last in the line of the Old Covenant prophets. So under the Old Covenant, the spirit is only given to certain individuals. And they're like this individual voice coming to, to speak for God on God's behalf. But who's the spirit poured out on under the new covenant? Everyone. All can now prophesy. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. And so I see the voice as more like a choir than an individual person out there alone. And I think that's a far less intimidating picture of what it is to be the voice. You know, just like um, Cade was sharing last week about we're all called to follow the Spirit and to, you know, see what the Spirit's doing and hook in with that. And as we do that, as we speak our little part in line um, with what the Spirit is doing, we become, you know, voices together that are in harmony and together with the voices now speaking to our generation. 
And yeah, I find that a much more um, comforting picture that I'm just one part of the voice. You know, the Apostle Paul, jumping into the New Testament, talks a lot about what it is to be a sent person or, as I'm articulating it here, a voice. He says that he's sent by God. We are people sent by God. And he uses some beautiful pictures to express what that's like, you know, bringing the aroma of Christ, the aroma of life to those who are being saved. He says that he's a part of this glorious ministry that brings righteousness. You know, he says that this ministry is more glorious than the ministry uh, of Moses because this ministry brings righteousness. So picture that. The voice that you have to share is more glorious than the ministry of Moses. And Paul says uh, there, because of that hope, uh, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. It's, it's, it's an emboldening thing to realise how wonderful it is to be a voice that brings righteousness to others. But is this calling an easy calling or is it a hard calling? Someone's, someone's being honest. Someone's being honest. You know, if you go on to chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians... Paul has a very, very long spiel about what it's like. I've just got a very abbreviated version here. You could go read the whole thing for yourself. He says his ministry happens in troubles, hardships and distresses, through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown, poor yet making many rich, having nothing yet possessing everything. This is a wonderful but hard calling. You know, um, I'd love to tell you that it's just going to be a piece of cake and full of rainbows and flowers as you follow Jesus throughout the course of your life. But I wouldn't be preparing you for a lifetime of serving God if I said that. And you know, 30 years down the track, when I'm sitting in the nursing home, I'm hoping that some of you guys will come visit me and you'll say, Kathy, I'm still following Jesus. It's had some great moments. It's had some tough moments, but I'm still following Jesus. And, you know, I see young people and it's a great joy to see them come into the church. But on many occasions, I've seen people last six months or a year, or a couple of years, and then something difficult comes up and, and they're not prepared to go the distance. And, you know, I just want to encourage you guys to be prepared to, to live this life that's going to have amazing, wonderful moments as you bring, you know, the voice of God to people around you, but that you're also strengthened to keep going when it's hard. And, and you know, God knows that we're frail. God knows that we're ahead of time that we're going to have hard times and we're going to struggle. And I reckon the rest of the chapter, uh, chapter 40 of Isaiah, speaks into that and, and prepares us and strengthens us to go the distance. Um, I think the key is in verse 27 of, of Isaiah chapter 40, um, where God says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, is, why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, my cause is disregarded by my God? I can almost guarantee that you'll have times in your Christian journey when, when you'll echo that sentiment. You know, God, where are you? Can't you see what I'm going through? You know, is my cause hidden from you? What's going on? 
And I don't think God is criticising people for saying this. I'm a big believer in that God can handle all of our struggles and all of our anger and all of our frustration. But I think graciously God has prepared an answer to that struggle ahead of time. And that answer is throughout the rest of Isaiah chapter 40. And this is where I want you to go away and read from verse 12 yourself and allow God to speak into your life who he is. Because if we're going to be sent people, we need to understand who it is that sent us. That's going to be the thing that's going to keep us going through hard times. And, you know, it's beautiful poetry. It's a series of rhetorical questions where God speaks to us, his people. And, you know, he said, well, anyone here today measured the, the waters of the, of the oceans in their hand? Anyone? Anyone here? Anyone gathered up the dust of the whole earth and put it in a basket? No? What about the mountains? Anyone, may, anyone weighed um, Black Mountain recently? Do you know how much it weighs? Didn't think so. You know, God says, who do you, who do you think I am? Who are you going to compare me to? Do you think I'm some little idol sitting on a shelf that's going to fall down as soon as someone knocks it down? He's saying, no, I'm not like that. You've got to know who I am. I'm the ruler of the entire universe. I've got you. And my favourite part of that passage is verse 25. To whom will you compare me? Or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. And, you know, when I'm having a difficult time serving God, I can go outside at night and look up at the stars and go, hey, none of the stars are missing. It's okay. God has got this. God is in control. And as sent ones, we need to saturate ourselves in a knowledge of who this God is. We've got to get away with these scriptures, get, a, get, a lot, get alone with these scriptures and allow God to speak to us about who he is so that we can rest in his power and know he's in complete control. Whatever crazy stuff is happening in the world like we see around us now, We've got to know our God and know that he is in control and live daily in that presence. You know, we might walk away from it and get stressed and anxious and all that kind of stuff, but then we've got to go back and go back and meditate on who our God is and live in his presence, the presence of this wonderful king who is still bringing restoration in people's lives um, today and who still graciously wants to use each one of us. And you know, you're going to get tired as a servant of God. I can pretty much guarantee that there are going to be days when you're tired and you're weary. And listen to what God's answer to that is. The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not grow faint. 
You are the voice that God wants to use to speak to your generation. I am the voice. We the choir together. We're called to proclaim Jesus, to create beautiful music that expresses how wonderful God is through our lives and our words. It's a hard but it's a wonderful calling and God will strengthen you as, as the voice as you wait upon him. So I want to suggest to you tonight two responses to God. I believe that God wants to renew your sense of being a voice, of being a sent one. And that might be really scary for you. But, you know, God says, I've got you. And he wants you to join in this calling with Isaiah. And God is saying tonight, who will go for me? Who will go for me? And I believe he wants you to put up your hand with Isaiah and say, yeah, Lord, I'll go. I'll go. You'll give me the strength so I trust you. Maybe you don't know this king at all and you're not even in a place where you'd consider being a sent one. Well, I want to invite you today that the message of Jesus, the message of this amazing king is the same to you today as it was in this passage in Isaiah, that he is still in the business of bringing restoration into empty and wilderness and desert places and that he wants to do that in your life. He wants to be the come and be the true king who will rule over you, make things right, but come with the heart of a shepherd into your situation. And so I want to pray and I want to invite you as I pray to open your heart. And, and if you're saying tonight, look, I'm, I'm renewing this, this uh, commitment to be a sent one, to be a voice. I just want to open, you open up your heart and I want, to share, I want you to share with someone during the course of this week you know, I, I need you to help me walk this out because we're not meant to walk it alone. We're meant to walk it as community. Or if you're saying to Jesus tonight, I, I need that restoration, I need your kingly rule in my life, then you share with that with someone. You might need to ask someone, how do I get this king to come in person into my situation? I don't know how to do that. You find someone this week who can help you. I'm always online. I love, I love talking to people online and you know I love having coffee with people. So feel free to message me as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word tonight. Lord, we're sorry that sometimes we forget who you are. We forget how great you are. We forget that we are just like a piece of grass that's here today and gone tomorrow. But you are eternal and your word is eternal. But thank you that though we are so weak and so frail, yet you say, I want you to be my servant. I want you to be my voice. What a privilege it is to be a voice for the king of all creation. Lord, we're scared, but we open up our hearts and say, God, use us. We want to we join with Isaiah and say, say, here am I. Send me. Speak through me. Love through me. God, we want to do that, and we want to do that better as a community of people. And God, we know that you just want to make us how we were meant to be. And your kingly rule does that in our lives. Lord, show people here tonight how to bring that kingly rule of Jesus over their own lives and to experience that beautiful restoration, beautiful healing and beautiful presence of God in their lives. So God, go with us this week and help us be the people of God, the community of God and the voice of God. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.